couples or three, hopefully, out there hustling and grinding and getting your thing on, which is very good. Uh, today on the show, super excited. We uh, back into the world of action sports. Love, love it, the world of action sports. We have some good guests on on so far. But uh, today's guest is actually um, understands especially more of the content side, the social, the tech sort of side of things, and especially the intersection of commerce when it comes to content as well um, for the mainstream. Today, ladies and gentlemen, introducing Justin Cafiero. How are you, mate? I'm doing well, man. Thanks. So, Justin, the, I'm going to just quick little read off here. Uh, content director of the Jew Tour, but you've come through a pretty interesting path of um, of action sports, the Red Bull world, the um, the Burton snowboard sort of Illuminati mafia, which has made its way around <laughs> into, into the ether of, of good stuff, which I'm always a fan of because then I know snowboarders are just seeping their tentacles in more than scares, which makes me feel good. Um, and then uh, obviously now under the Adventure Sports Network content director at the Jew Tour. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long road. I kind of pinch myself sometimes. It's been you know over a decade at this point, but um, you know just super lucky to have turned basically my my passion for snowboarding into something that I can call a you know somewhat successful career. So it's been it's been a great ride. Well, maybe we'll we'll, we'll start there in the snowboard game. Like, let's we probably it seems like we're around similar ages. We're, we're under fifty, and we're we're not twelve. Um, you know, there hasn't the percentage of talented humans who get out and transition safely and evolve to stay within the thing that they love is very small you know the the, the drop-off percentage from you know within t- 12 to 24 months after either being pro or, or connect, having a direct um, in is extremely high how has it been safely i guess transitioning waking up now in 2021 and being directly attached to the thing which helped got you there in the first place because i think you're probably what, maybe the one percent of the one percent that's made it the way through and then now you're an adult with a nice beard and you're still surviving in the game of action sports which is crazy because then if when you add on top of it as well the, the dip of the 08 recession crash whatever now we've got this COVID thing where you're almost living through these memorable um like world events but still within the same space of where you come from so h- how does it feel to to become you know part of the the culture for such a such a long time it it honestly hearing someone say it out loud it's a little bit of a pinch yourself moment right i mean i i don't it, i don't think about that every day and i should i should think about that more and, and i am super super grateful for where i am but um i think you touched on a lot of really great points there and and i think the first one is that I never had any sort of intention to to be a pro snowboarder because I just knew that just wasn't in the cards, right? And I think that realistic mindset, I think that mindset really just helped me be like, okay, I got to find another way in, right? Like how, how am I going to get involved without being the rider? Because I know that's just not in the cards. I'm just being realistic here, right? And I always loved snowboarding. And, um, and I think, so another part of that is uh, growing up on the East Coast, right? And I think... Um, I think East coasters have that special something in the water, that drive, that mentality. Um, I, I don't know if it was being raised like that or being born there or, you know, the New York city hustle. I think that's part of it, you know, growing up outside the city. Um, I never really stopped being hungry. I never stopped working. I never stopped putting in the, the time and, and I still do things that I think are paying my dues now, even though maybe, maybe a lot of people in this position might not think that right. I, I think, you know, I've spent time painting and building skate ramps for projects. I've spent time, you know, building stuff on site. There's all these different things that you just do because it's got to get done. Right. And I think that mentality has helped me quite a bit through the years. Um, And then I think the other thing you mentioned is, is you see that drop off right after the the time after the pro, right. 
Um, and I think this new crop of athletes, this new generation uh, is quickly seeing that they're learning from the past and they're making adjustments, right? They're, they're doing things like they're starting podcasts, they're starting websites, they're getting involved with brands, um, they're starting brands, you know, th there's all these different things they're investing. These, these were not always things that former pros did. And you can really see the successful ones now. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, you have to have some of the ones who were unsuccessful to learn from those, from those mistakes. So all of those points, I think, are, are kind of the new era of, of that, that snowboard athlete, as well as snowboard industry. Well, look, you touched on a good point there, Justin, around the fact of, you know, athletes themselves having to zoom out and not think of themselves necessarily as a person, but as a platform. You know, Jay-Z's always got that line, I ain't a business, man, I'm a business, man. And going from person to platform creates that sort of scalability. And one of the things, if you rewind back, like we had Mark Frank Montoya on the, sh on the show and talking about, you know, he was probably one of the top three branded individuals that understood the business side of how to position within the marketplace. But then simultaneously, I think when you, and that was in the, the time when everyone was getting checks for hundreds of thousands all over the show and people become millionaires. It's different now, right? I, I you tune on the Olympic and you've got, you know, iPod with a blank board and you've got, you know, a bunch of these top riders that are only um, barely even making a living. They're just like hardly almost surviving with unsponsored and the, these top crew in the world. So by default, the survivor, the, the pure, you know, commercial survival element for them has had to make them be more creative and more um, understanding. But then maybe good little segue the other way. Do you think from a brand's perspective, if I look back in the game, it was talent first and then let's blow you up, right? Like, hey, you are epic, now let's make you famous. And the way you made famous was almost by default because you buy into a MacDog film or you're in the, you know, you shoot with Scott Service and you're on the front cover of Transworld, whatever the thing may be. But now it's how many followers do you have? What's your engagement rate? It, it's a data conversation, right? So what's your take on the, maybe the commercial element around how talent has been commercialized within snowboarding and how you feel that's changed maybe over the last 10 to 15 years. Cause I definitely think the, um, the, the energy of the athlete is going potentially in a bit of a different direction. That's driven by data and dollars, not necessarily by passion and talent, but I'll, I'll be really intrigued on your take. Cause you've been able to see the world from the inside and out from within it. Sure. Yeah. And there's a lot of great points there. And, and I think, you know, uh, to start, I think Instagram was really that great equalizer, right? A and before, you know, as a kid, I would pour through the pages of Transworld and I would read about my favorite pros and see the photos and learn about the movies and then go to the shop and buy them, right? That is just not really a thing anymore, unfortunately, as much as I hate that it's that it's true. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast at this point. And the thing about YouTube and Instagram is that instantaneous ability to connect with athletes. I mean, I can get on Instagram and, and post a comment to my favorite snowboard and they'll probably see it. Um, that's just, that just wasn't a thing before. And so now where I think most athletes were um, expected to film all season to put out a video part and maybe do a catalog shoot, that is no longer the case, right? And, and, and it hasn't been for quite some time. You have to post on Instagram, you have to show up to events, you have to compete, you have to not put out one video part, you have to put out a, a vlog or something, you know, there, there's, it, it's become a lot more work. And so they were getting, not only were they getting paid more to do less, you know, that that's what it was, they're getting paid more to do less. And now, you know, this, again, after 2008, you know, I, I saw the physical representation of this that really 
hit home with me was that you saw the magazine shrinking physically in size and the weight of them uh, and how many I could fit in a box was a, was a very visual reminder um, of what happened around that time. And that was um, kind of right before I, I got, got my first full-time job in the industry. I mean, I was interning and doing it and kind of dipping my toes in the water, but um, so I didn't get to see, I missed the glory days by like, <laughs> by like a little bit. And I always try to think about that. But from then on in, in, in my experience, it was always thin budgets. What can we do? What can we make happen? How can we stretch the dollar? Um, and I think unfortunately that translated to, to athletes where they were bearing the brunt of uh, the budgets, right. And, and the amount of, of money that was being spent on these athletes. And then people got forced to really recognize, all right, what, what's the ROI? Are they moving product? Are they going to move the needle at the end of the day where we're getting a return on that investment? Because from a business sense, that's what it is at the end of the day. Um, and, and I like to joke that pro athletes were the original um, influencers, right? And, and you would never call, would, would you ask a pro snowboarder, are you an influencer? And and what would their answer be? Because it's, it's, it's highly debatable, right? They are, they have these incredible, amazing talents, but also are commanding these presences on Instagram that sometimes outweigh the brands themselves, right? So, so the value is, is always in flux um, and you can make that argument either way, but I think it's just an interesting talking point to, to think about. I, mean, I remember David Benedict had a uh, interview in one of the magazines talking about the death of the DVD and in it he basically talked about the, the time gap in the real world of exactly to your, to point Justin, work all season for a video part, video part comes out, do the tour, get your flip and check right, right off into the sunset. Forum does the full page ad. Solomon does the full page and you're off to the races. Thanks for coming. That's my season done. <laughs> but the, the timing of vlogs, webisodes, you know, the four one ones of the world, all, all the rest of it, it, it definitely changed that. I remember he predicted it and he said it early because what came after it was essentially the crumbling of the, you know, brands having to pay the Mac dogs 50k to get a rider in a spot or whatever it may be. And it just was like, no, no, oh, we'll do our own show, team movie now. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just take that film and Justin and we'll just do that and we'll just get that that crew. And it almost, it felt like the the vehicles that were the middlemen got pushed out because the brands realized they had to power themselves and they could control the narrative themselves, right? And then when you look at exactly two point four, Justin, you're talking about, you know, say Instagram, that instantaneous feel of they could just literally just go live whenever. There was no hidden secrets. And and in, in, in New Zealand, you know, we had, you know, NZ Snowboarder magazine and then I had the website nzsnowboard.com. And my always idea was saying, well, if this comes out sporadically as if it was a journal three times a year, what is all the B-roll and the filler? Like what's crafting that narrative on an ongoing basis? And there was this kind of, there was a bit of a disconnect strategically and it sucks because the mag isn't, I guess, there anymore. But when you see the same, the impact of technology directly into sport, net, net, do you feel that it has been a help or a hindrance to the ecosystem? Take away, I guess, the commercial factors of recession. Has technology helped or hurted the game? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on how you look at it, right? From a, from a dollars and cents standpoint, I haven't seen the latest data. I kind of don't probably check in on the SIA reports as much as I should anymore. But, uh, you know, I, I would be willing to bet that the overall um, marketplace for snow sports in general has grown. And, and I think that has probably a great deal to do with the availability of that content to the masses. So your Instagrams, your Facebooks, your YouTubes, 
now with TikTok. I mean, these are all platforms that are reaching a wider audience than those those physical print magazines ever possibly could. It just you can't even compare it. It's it, it's not even close. So I think by virtue of getting to the masses and bringing in these outside audiences to grow the sport, I mean, that at the end of the day, I think is always the goal. That was always the goal at the magazine, and and I would argue that we were very successful in that um, by diversifying into those digital avenues and. To your other point, you know, the brands taking things in-house, I mean, that was a huge thing that that I experienced personally. And then very quickly, I think a lot of brands realized, wow, this is a lot of work. No wonder we used to farm this out, you know, and, and it's 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 those production companies, the Mac dogs of the world. I mean, they have been doing it for such a long time. This is something that they are very, very good at and very experienced at. And when issues or problems arise, they know how to handle it because they've done it before. And when you've got, you know, um, a young kid at a who's doing marketing at a brand who's never done this before. There's things that you need to kind of figure out uh, on your own. So um, totally, totally great points. I think that um, you know those those guys are the greats because because they, they've done it and they and they continue to do it and they found ways to adapt to to the new landscapes. And the point there, which you make, Justin, which I would agree with, is it was clear that at a certain point the people themselves, like if you look at pro athletes potentially being the influencers, the people actually became more powerful than the platforms, right? The, oh, well, you sell 10,000 copies, that's great. I've got 100,000 people, which I can just get to by saying going live and I've got in three minutes a bigger reach than I'm paying you to. Why do I need to pay you, stuff you? Simultaneously, when um, there's a documentary called Push, Pause, Play, talks about like kind of the world of um, creativity and stuff, but one of the things they talked about was when everyone does the same thing, nothing stands out and actually devalues everything in the whole market. And I wonder in a, in a weird way, because obviously the top is obviously getting still the most, but then the gap's getting bigger for everyone else that doesn't get shit, was actually thinking about if the business itself of, of action sports was so reliant on this, in a weird way, is the modern world of action sports become almost like college sports in america where there's so many people that are doing it for free but then there's commercialization of the brand of businesses at top like let's say hypothetically the the army doesn't give a shit who flipping any of these crew are but they know oh well if everyone's doing it and there's so much free content out and they're getting inspired from everywhere a we don't need to pay for it b we can just own at, at the macro do you think that the relationships of how sponsors or brands think of action sports has actually changed over 10 years just by default because so many more people are doing it and getting inspired without actually having to pay. Does that make sense? Like just, I'm just looking at the from a brand side. It, it does make sense. I, I understand the question. I think there's always, I mean, you know, photographers and filmers and lots of different people experience this every day where there's always going to be someone willing to do it for less. Right. And, and you have to balance that uh, as a brand and you have to understand that the people that are commanding these premiums command them for a reason. Um, you're going to get what you pay for, right? And and I think a lot of times, again, when when you have no budget and you're just willing to do whatever it takes to stretch that as far as possible to reach as many people as possible, sometimes you take you know you take side routes, you take shortcuts, um, and maybe that means signing up some AMs to the team, um, more AMs than sometimes pros. I think you see that a lot, where you're just trying to get out there, you're trying to find that new talent. So it's definitely a balancing act, right? And I've and I've seen it before, where, um, yeah, you could totally hire, you know, some some college kid or some some younger person that has less experience, maybe shooting photos. But when you get those back at the end of the day, 
you're going to see a difference between the heavy hitters and, and from that lower end. And so I think it usually takes a few times for, for people and marketers to, to experience that and really see the physical difference um, of, of the output. And what's, what's also great is that you will get that instantaneous feedback on your platforms, right? If you put out a shitty video or a photo, people are going to let you know really quick, right? And, and is it worth it, right? Is it worth it to save a few bucks on this and then potentially damage your reputation as a brand, uh, reputation with, with different people in the industry? You have to weigh all of that, right? And I think, again, it's just when, as someone who's, who's been in it long enough, I, I can recognize that. But for maybe newer people coming up, it just takes a little bit of time and, and maybe they won't even have to deal with that, right? Things are changing so rapidly. It's like, um, you know, especially with things like Instagram ads and Facebook ads and being able to grow a brand so quickly, there's different ways to spend that money um, that didn't really exist before. So now you're kind of being bombarded with all these options and it's up to you to, to make the choice of what the best way to, to move forward is. Well, the, if you look at some of the brands that came through the, the early 2000s, which were funded by like, you know, soy sauce companies and these crazy other shit that had nothing to do with it the difference of the external visuals were quite substantial if you understood snowboarding you know just buying some random just chucking the logo up there someone doing some air those that are paying for it don't know the difference those in the giddy images don't know the difference between a tindy and an indie and a taipan and a flipping right? that's just like dude in sky sell product and uh, so i think you're right it's the um which maybe comes back the other way of you know um, my kind of thesis with, with media was always, you know, every brand is going to become its own media company, control everything from end to end, including distribution, distribution. But the difference will always be the creative, the brand, the story, the, the, the strategic thinking, the, the, the glue in the middle. So in some ways, you know, it gives value back to the art, which is quite cool for sport. Cause if you look at, you know, um, snowboarding itself, the Jamie Lynn's of the world and whatever it may be. The, the art that they put into things, the way they crafted and you're at the narrative, the story, it, it potentially just means maybe could be wrong, but the, um, the, the creative, the creativity will always be that variable, which makes me feel a lot more stoked for the future of these type of brands and sports because the fly by night is the one night stand is they're going to piss off and bail because they're not going to get the cut through the traction. They don't know the nuances and actually instead of sort of building depth. So when you look at maybe we'll go business side for a second, when you look at, say, the snowboard companies of the early 2000s versus today, 20 years later, what do you think the biggest shift has actually been from the headspace around brand themselves that, that's doing physical and hard product when they look at the ecosystem of starting a business in 2000 with the JP Walkers of the world or starting a business in 2020 with the sages or whoever it may be? That's that's a great question. I can't decide what I think is the biggest, the biggest difference, I think. Um, obviously, the marketing outlets, you know, it's huge. It's way less print dependent, um, way more digital focus, obviously. And that, that goes without saying now, but again, 10 years ago, it was, it was definitely a new, a new aspect. I think, um, teams, you know, team riders, pro team riders, um, unfortunately are starting to become less important, right? You can hire some influencer again with, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of followers and, and the, the amount of, pros at that level with that level of following and influence is, is low comparatively. Right. Um, I think that's a huge conversation. Unfortunately, I hate that. I, I, I don't, it's not, it brings me no pleasure to talk about. Right. Um, but, but again, those pros are getting better at diversifying and, and providing more value in, in those different ways is other there, than just being really, really good. 
I was going to say, What's up? does it make you feel upset because you feel their talent has been devalued commercially for what they're bringing? Because some flipping Chachi from down the street can just roll up that does like bicep kills at the gym or some shit and be like, I'm going snowboarding. I'm going to buy this Burden 5-5 hero, whatever the flipping thing is. Do, do you, is that the passionate piece in you that's like, no, the art and soul of the talent? Or commercially, <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Like, why are we doing all this shit if maybe there's, you know, like if Elon Musk just goes shredding and he goes, oh, I wrote a Burton. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Is, it, is it like an emotional sort of hold from the past of what you what you wish it was like yesteryear, like people talking about the phone books and, you know, being home before the, it got dark and shit? You know, are, are, yeah. you, being, are you being sensitive, I guess? <laughs> it's it's bo- it's both. You know, I hate, I hate to admit that it's both, but it is, right? I mean, there's the... The kid in me that I always reference when I'm trying to, you know, make some kind of decision that I think, you know, like what would would 15 year old calf be hyped on this? Um, and I tried, I try to reflect on that sometimes when I can to to kind of keep myself in check. But but also there's the business side, there's the reality of things, right? And and it's hard to to justify, um, you know, some sort of payment and and a lower ROI versus the same payment right to someone else to something else and that has a higher roi from a business standpoint i think making too many decisions based on passion and gut will lead to to your downfall essentially right and i think a lot of decisions like that were made um in different parts of the industry and now we see the kind of fallout right we see the aftermath of that unfortunately and 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 that's just the reality of things right um there's always that as a snowboarder myself, that gut feeling, that passion is what guides me um, through through the vast majority of what I do. But you have to balance it with that business sense in order to be successful, right? You can make a great core, awesome company and it's going to stay small the entire time and, and you're going to be, you know, the chorus of the core. But it depends on your what, what, your, um, what your goals are at the end of the day, right? Do you want to grow and make this thing huge and sell it and retire on a beach someplace? Or do you want to just be holding the core flag? I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, right? It's just a matter of what you want to do. I was watching a, uh, a documentary on Netflix last night called what, what we built or what we made. And it was uh, the history of EDM and really interesting thing, obviously like, you know, I, I, I don't really go to raves at all, but I, I'm always intrigued with, you know, the commercialization of creativity. I'm always really intrigued on that. And with, there was a section in the video that literally talked about this of the underground versus the mainstream of keeping it core. And it's like, yeah, well, no one's heard of you. You're still pretty much broke. And then this dude's stacked. So like, cool, man, you can keep it real working full time until you're 80. But, and I'm not saying, you know, just go go sell out. But there was always, I mean, even within sports and stuff, there was always very much a, um, a, a sell, not a sellout mentality, but this, this you yeah, maybe sell it was, was the word. Like I remember when I, um, when I just before I moved over to um, Burton, um, a bunch of the crew were like, and this would have been two thousand seven, eight, and they're like, "Oh man, dude, you got to sell out, bro. You got to the big dog, sell out, man." Blah, blah blah. And I remember I sat down with Galty, who's the CEO of Burton at the time in New Zealand, and he goes, "So what's your hands?" I said, "Look, man, because we were going to do like create a rookie program to get like more young bucks into it, and I was kind of like mentor or whatever, and I was just really passionate about it." And then he goes, "So." D- just talk me through this. So they're giving you shit for selling that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Just that's like, they're going to call me a sellout. And he goes, okay, cool. And like, just like hypothetically, just, just like what brands would they ride for? Like what, what, what were the names of the brands? And I was like, oh, you know, like you know, DC and this. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's just say DC. Okay. Who owns DC? I'm like, oh, uh, 
I think I bought for quick surface. Okay, cool. So a surfer's own the snowboard company and they're giving you shit. Um, and I was like, yeah. He's like, well, who owns that surf company? Oh, it's public. He's like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So, and what, what hedge fund has got a big share in that? <laughs> oh, um, and he literally like, cause you know, you're young and you, you're kind of going through it. And then he's like, so you're telling me that some suits in New York who've never snowboarded in their life, who own this, this company, which is a surf company, who then has bought this company and they ride for that company, but a core, but then you, and he's like, who owns Burton? I'm like, oh, Jake. How many, does Jake snowboard? Yeah, how many days? 100. And where does he live? Uh, Vermont. And what does he do? Snowboard. Who else owns it? No one. So who's keeping, and, and it was just this mind-blowing moment where I realized, wait a second, the narrative, was, the perception was so different from the reality when you actually got into the trenches and actually asked why, 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 why. And I just- 100%. I wonder about the, the sport of, um, of action sports with like how many decisions have been, made around this core gut that is actually isn't core whatsoever if you look in surf with everything being consolidated and all the rest of it so maybe down that road for a second when you look at the content game obviously you know content director of the due tour in a nutshell what is the biggest challenge that you have to try and achieve for the for the whole thing like you've come through burden smack that big growth gone this in a nutshell what's the biggest commercial challenge that you have driving the content side from due to what it does and how it operates. Cause I think it's going to be a pretty interesting thing to get into. Sure. Um, wow. Where do I start? Uh, I think, I, I think the biggest one for us is, you know, at the end of the day, we want to be creating engagement with, with the fans, right? Because that's what spurs growth um, and awareness of, of the brand. And that at the end of the day is, is what we're trying to do and in, in very simple terms. So I think you're overwhelmed with sometimes with platform decision, what platform should I be on? Should I be on all of them? TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, you know, remember Periscope, like all of this different stuff. Like it, it, it seems like there's, there hasn't, we've been lucky, right? Over the past few years, there hasn't been a lot of new stuff. And then in the past year or so, it's like, boom, all of a sudden this, this explosion, Snapchat, all of these things, what do you do? And, and, and then how do you do it? Right. And I see a lot of brands just do the same thing over all the platforms, which is something that I, that you never want to do. Um, but to take the time and the effort to create content specifically for each platform, for the one that it's designed for, like that takes time and effort and, and ultimately money, right? I think the joke is um, you can never have enough time or money <laughs> for anything to get things done. And if you do have enough of those things, you can literally do anything. So, um, you know, formulating a specific plan is always something that I focus a lot of time on. What are we going to do and how are we going to do it and where, right? It, it's, 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 it sounds straightforward, but, there's different opinions, there's different things, there's people asking questions about the, the new flavor of the week, how are you going to address this or that? And it's really a matter of staying focused and, and finding the things that work and capitalizing on them and, and finding ways to recreate that success. Um, because if you can do that, you, you've basically solved the puzzle, which is uh, essentially a very simple version of how I succeed so much at Burton. I was kind of given the keys to the kingdom, the Instagram account, no, it wasn't a, a huge focus for them just yet, but uh, they were willing to let me work on that. And basically through trial and error, I found what worked and just kept doing it and doing it and doing it until I had, you know, doubled, tripled their, their social following to like whatever, 600, 700 K um, at the time, which was, you know, years ago. Now they're at over 1.3 or something like that. Um, and that's, that's really the formula to success. It's not a secret. It's just a matter of being willing to fail at things and try new stuff, which a lot of people just aren't. 
Um, and I think that's the first thing that you really got to be willing to do is, is try stuff and be willing to say, yeah, I, I messed that up. Uh, sorry, I won't do it again. You know, mistakes are, are the way to learn what not to do. And, and I think in marketing, it's discouraged to make mistakes like that because of potential blowback and things like that. But if you're in an environment that allows you to do that, I think that's where you're going to see the most success. So on that, right, I think that, that multiple platforms mean multiple outputs instead of just copy, paste and creative across, you know, the flipping 30 second TVC dropping on YouTube.